All right, so this week we are going to be talking about uh, Psalm 125. The title of this talk is Finding Security. So we're going to be talking about how do we find security in the current day. So before we get in, I'm just going to go ahead and read the psalm and then we're going to pray. So, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. The scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous, for then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart. But those who turn to crooked ways, the Lord will banish with the evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for uh, this opportunity to study Psalm 125, um, this great song of ascent. Lord, I just pray that you would be with me and with those who are listening as we study this psalm. Lord, let us grow closer to you through this time. Let us understand things and be encouraged by your word. And let this spur us on as we continue to learn about what it means to live a Christian life and what it means to journey with you through life. Thank you, Father. Let me speak your truth. Amen. All right, so we're going to unpack this psalm in parts. So first we're going to look at verse 3 because that is kind of the prologue, if you will, of this whole psalm. So verse 3 again, the scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous, for then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. So the psalmist is saying, that the scepter of wicked that is currently over the land, it won't always be over the land of Israel. If it was, the righteous might start doing evil things. But what, what does the scepter of wickedness mean? As we've studied Psalms, we see a lot of poetic terms because Psalms are poems. So a scepter, scepter is a symbol of a king's rule, or in our day and age, it could be a symbol of political power. It's basically symbolizing who is in charge of the land, who rules the land. And what does the psalmist say about the scepter? He or she says the scepter is a scepter of wickedness. So essentially he's saying that when he is writing the psalm, Israel is being ruled by a wicked government. It could be an Israelite king. It could be a foreign king who has conquered Israel. But they're wicked. So in the historical context, the Israelites that the psalmist was writing to, writing about, they're under a wicked rule. And the psalmist is concerned that this wickedness is going to start overwhelming the good people in the land. That if this wicked government were to continue to rule, the righteous would be corrupted by him or by them, the rulers. 
However, like our lives today, in America, we are faced by also some wickedness. We have our own scepter of wickedness. And there are two big factors that could be seen as parts of this scepter of wickedness. Something called myopia and social conformity. And these two work together to produce a culture that we are dealing with today that is not biblical. So myopia is short-sightedness. And it's a short-sightedness that comes with what we call moral relativism. In our culture today, by and large, we have a culture that produces the thought, produces the belief, promotes the belief that whatever is true is up to the individual. Morality is relative. Some people might say something's good and that's fine, that's their belief. Some people might say something else is the good thing to do. That's their belief. That's called moral relativism and that's one of the things that our culture promotes. And with that moral relativism comes short-sightedness. If everything is good to every person, if what is true for you is your truth and what is true for someone else is their truth, a culture built on that, a culture that promotes that, a culture that believes that, long-term will fall. Because that culture has no permanence, it has no rock to hold on to. So that's one, or one cornerstone of our current scepter of wickedness in our culture. The other cornerstone would be what's called social conformity. And social conformity goes hand in hand with moral relativism. Social conformity is the belief that everyone must subscribe to the belief that everything is allowed. So let's unpack that. Everyone must subscribe to the belief that everything is allowed. In other words, although we are told in our culture that your truth is your truth and you can believe what you want, we are also told and held to as a culture the belief that you can't believe anything offensive to the general culture. So everything is allowed. And this has led to our current culture becoming more sensitive to issues. It's led to some, shall we say, over specification of things like political correctness where people can't take a joke anymore. And this is not speaking to sin in the past that needs to be done away with and is being done away with. This is talking more to the fact that people can't take a joke about themselves anymore. They can't say, oh yeah, that's, that's true. That's something goofy about me, ha ha ha. 
by and large, our, our culture has become offended by that. And we look at what is becoming commonplace and widely accepted nowadays, like gay marriage, or the value and the belief that being gay is okay. See, as Christians, we would say that homosexuality is a sin, like any other sin, that people struggle with and need to overcome. But our culture says, no, 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 that's wrong. Homosexuality is something to be celebrated. It's something to identify people. That's just one example of one so-called truth that is promoted by social conformity today. The belief that if you speak out against homosexuality, if you say that homosexuality is a sin, you are a bigot. You are someone who's outdated. You're someone whose beliefs don't matter. So, we are under a scepter of wickedness today. We are under myopia. We are under social conformity. The idea that anything is okay as long as it conforms to our very specific belief. Again, these are things that the culture promotes that have turned our culture away from a culture that is more heavily invested in Christianity and has transformed our culture into one that is less focused and less rooted in Christianity. So just as the Israelites that the psalmist was speaking to were under a scepter of wickedness, under wicked ways, idolatry, evils that their government was promoting. We also are in a culture that promotes wicked things. And the psalmist sees three ways through this darkness, three ways that can encourage us as believers in the midst of this. They are the certainty of God's protection, the certainty of God's provision, and the certainty of God's preservation. We'll go through each of these. So certainty of God's protection. If we look back at verses 1 through 3, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. The scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous, for then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. So the certainty of God's protection, what do we see in these verses? We see that to trust in God is to rest in who he is. Those who trust in God are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken. So how do we rest in God? Or what can we rest in about God? We rest in his wisdom. He knows all things. Think about that for a second. He knows everything that was, everything that is, everything that will be for all eternity. 
Everything from the number of sand grains on the seashore to the number of hairs on your head to the number of stars in the sky to what you will eat for breakfast tomorrow. He knows all things. So we rest in his wisdom. We also rest in his power. He's the God who created all things, who has dominion over all things. He has power over everything. And we also rest in his goodness. And his goodness is our adoption as sons and daughters of him. Our preservation in him. The fact that he has saved us, even though we were sinners. So God's protection is trusting in who he is and resting in that. It's also that he strengthens us. He makes us like Mount Zion, spiritually. Mount Zion, back in ancient times, is the mountain that Jerusalem was founded on. It made Jerusalem a city on a hill, literally, that protected them from enemies. So by saying he strengthens us like Mount Zion, God is saying he's placing us on top of this hill for our protection. He's giving us a solid foundation on which to stand. In God, we are building our house upon solid ground, not on sand. So spiritually, we are like Mount Zion. He is putting our faith, rooting our faith in himself and strengthening it so that nothing can move it. He also surrounds us like a mountain range. So what does that mean? God surrounds us like a mountain range. Well, back in ancient times and all throughout history, mountains have protected people. People have built societies, cities around mountains, protected by mountains, and used man-made mountains and walls to protect them. Well, if you look at history, if you look at stories, man-made walls are penetrable. Something like the Great Wall of China, which runs for thousands and thousands of miles. Amazing wall. It was penetrable. People bribed the gatekeepers to get in. Or if you look at fiction, something like Helm's Deep from Lord of the Rings, a great fortress surrounded on one side by mountains and on the other side by walls. It was penetrable. In the Lord of the Rings, the two towers, the armies of darkness, break through that wall using magic. So man-made walls are penetrable, but nothing penetrates God's wall. It is the firm wall that cannot be breached. And he uses that wall to hem us in, to protect us. So nothing's going to get through that wall. We're rooted on Mount Zion, 
we are built in our faith on spiritual Mount Zion, we are surrounded by God's wall of protection, like a mountain range. Basically, in these two verses, the psalmist is saying that we have such solid protection spiritually as Christians, nothing can break through. So you might be saying, but why then do we suffer under the scepter of wickedness? Why do bad things happen to us? Well, God's promise to strengthen and surround people is not a promise to give us a life of ease. It's not a promise that the Christian life will be easy. Nor does he promise to give us a life free from experiencing the effects of a fall, of the fall. We live in a sinful world. And though we have been redeemed by Christ, until he comes again and makes the new heavens and the new earth and gives us our perfect bodies, we still are living in a world that sees and experiences the results of sin. And that doesn't change just because we're Christians. Throughout history, we've seen God's true followers suffer. If you think in the Old Testament, the first Samuel, Saul's son Jonathan, David's best friend, a righteous man who loves God, a man who, unlike his father, was not cowardly, a man who fought the Philistines with just a couple people, a vast army, because he knew God was on his side. This man didn't become king. Instead, he watched as it was given to someone else, and then he died when he was very young in war. Or you can think of many Christian missionaries, Jim Elliott, for example, who, along with others, lost his life while evangelizing to tribes. You can look all throughout history. We can look at Jesus. Jesus didn't live a life free from harm from the world. He suffered on the cross for us. We will not suffer. We will not not suffer just because we are Christians. God's protecting us spiritually. He doesn't protect us all the time from physical ailments or from effects of the fall. Deep down, we often also think that obedience to God may deserve a reward. So, for example, a life free from suffering. But what God promises to do is to strengthen and surround his people to protect us from the ultimate eternal evil, which is being eternally separated from him. That is the ultimate evil that we will not experience as believers, that people, unbelievers, don't think about. The ultimate evil would be eternity apart from God. 
That is what hell is. In this life, we will be tempted to do evil. But God promises that the scepter of wickedness will not rest on the land. He will limit the impact of wickedness on us and keep us for eternity. So though we might feel the effects of the fall, though we might be under the scepter of wickedness on this earth, that time will pass. And ultimately, he's protecting us for our eternal salvation. So, in verses 1 through 3, we see the certainty of God's protection for us. In verse 4, which says, Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart. We see the certainty of God's provision. The psalmist says, Do good, O Lord, asking God to do good to us. What is good? Too often in our culture and in our selfish hearts, we define good as what we want, what makes us happy instead of what we need and what makes us holy. We define good according to the flesh rather than the welfare of our souls. Again, God doesn't promise to give us lots of money or a nice house or fun vacations. That's not his purpose. God's purpose is to glorify himself by making us more like him. So what the psalmist is asking God to accomplish is his purpose, that which is good. And not just to accomplish that purpose, but to accomplish that purpose through us. Do good, those who are upright in heart. So, through what we, he's saying, do good to us, through what we experience, through the scepter of wickedness. Oftentimes we don't see suffering as a good thing. And it's not in and of itself. But we can still learn important things from suffering. Suffering can tempt us to become self-preoccupied, only thinking about ourselves, which can lead to whining, complaining, an attitude of woe is me, everyone's out to get me, always looking in on ourselves instead of looking out to others. It can also tempt, to, tempt us to emotional hysteria, to freak out, to act like the world is ending, like whatever is going on has more control than God does. Well, we must remember, if we fall in either of these two camps, is that God has our long-term good in mind, and his desire is to make us holy, and that is the highest form of love. Affliction can assail us, but it will never destroy us. We're going to go through suffering on this earth. We're going to go through hard times. We're going to go through heartbreak. We're going to go through terrible things. But if we trust in God, 
those things won't destroy us. He's designed this as part of the process that makes him more like him, makes us more holy, what we typically call sanctification. And this is good. Think back to Genesis 50:20, the story of Joseph, where after all the evil that Joseph has suffered, he tells his brothers, what you intended for ill, God intended for good. Through his brothers selling him into slavery, God used that to provide a way for Joseph to help save Egypt from starvation. God will often do that with our lives. He will allow us to overcome suffering, to be taught during suffering, to become more like him. The final thing we see from this short psalm is in verse 5, which says, But those who turn to crooked ways, the Lord will banish with the evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. What we see in this verse is the certainty of God's preservation. The Lord will lead away or will banish the evildoers, those who turn to crooked ways. This is saying that evildoers, wicked ones, will lose material possessions, but more importantly, they lose God. Like we said before, he is the only source of true happiness. And this is a loss that no words can describe and no mind can truly conceive. We've gotten to a place often that we don't think about this. That we often don't think about God as the only source of true happiness. Many of you have grown up in the church as I did. Several of you go to Christian school, as I did. When you're around the truth, when you're around the Bible, when you're hearing about God's goodness, when you're hearing about depravity of man, sin, when you're hearing all the truth that the Bible presents, sometimes we can become so familiar with it so close to it that we lose our sense of amazement and we begin to take things for granted. We've become so used to hell that it no longer breaks our hearts. We've heard about salvation so many times it no longer warms our hearts. We've heard about God's love and mercy so much that we're no longer awed and truly thankful to him. To be able to actually persevere and grow while under the scepter of wickedness, we need to truly understand what God preserves us from. We need to truly come back to how horrible a situation of being eternally banished from God's presence really is. It's only then that we can truly, truly appreciate and be thankful for 
what he has saved us to. It's often the darkness of night that makes dawn so welcome. It's the awful torment of pain that makes relief so comforting. It's loneliness that makes reunion so sweet. It's easy for us to take good things for granted in this life. I mean, even seeing your friends every day at school or being able to go to school, many of us took for granted. But being away from that for three months faced us, made us realize just how good those things are. Likewise, it's the prospect of hell that makes heaven and its goodness so overwhelming for us. We can't truly appreciate what God has saved us to if we don't appreciate and understand what he has saved us from. God has reconciled all of creation and each one of us individually as believers to himself. And this certainty heightens our joy. It enables us to keep going even through the darkness. So even though we've been in a lonely time of isolation, even though we live in a culture that is so anti-God, we have a certainty that pushes us through, that helps us persevere when we suffer. And we will suffer. But God will sustain us and protect us through that. Many of you know that I am someone who loves movies. And my favorite movies are the Lord of the Rings movies. Many of you may have seen them. Some of you probably haven't. There's a moment at the end of the second of the three movies, The Two Towers, where Frodo and Sam, who are our main heroes, come to a fork in the road. They're on the way to destroy the ring, the thing that holds all the power and soul of the evil Dark Lord Sauron. And in this scene, Frodo collapses says, I can't do this anymore. I can't continue this journey. And Sam responds with, in my opinion, the most beautiful speech in all of cinema. And this is what Sam says. I know. It's all wrong. By rights, we shouldn't even be here. But we are. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad happened?
But in the end, it's only a passing thing, the shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. Those are the stories that stayed with you. That meant something. Even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back. Only they didn't. They kept going. Because they were holding on to something. That there's some good in this world, Mr. Frodo. And it's worth fighting for. Friends, we live in an age much like that. Some of us live lives that the world would say are blessed. Some of us live lives that the world would say are awful. Regardless, you will suffer in this world. But we must persevere. We must hold on to something. And that goodness that we're holding on to is the all-powerful God. Who cannot be shaken and keeps us protected so that we will not be shaken. So that even though we live under the scepter of wickedness, we will be protected forevermore. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for just this sweet, sweet psalm and its encouragement, Lord. I thank you for the fact that not only have you saved us from sin, but you protect us so that we can persevere. And you use things that the world would see only as wicked to help grow us and make us more like you. Father, I pray for each and every person that listens to this, Lord. If they know you, I pray that they would persevere to the end of their race, that one day they might be in eternity with you. If they don't know you, Lord, I pray that they would look to find you, that they would come to know you so that they can find this protection that you offer they can find the perseverance that you offer. I thank you for the words of this psalmist. I thank you for your love. And in your son's name I pray. Amen.